Welcome to episode 6 of Chasing Majors with Evan Priest and legendary caddy Steve Williams. In this episode, we'll focus on the 2002 Masters when Tiger Woods went back to back at Augusta National. But before we get into the Masters, it's worth noting that at the beginning of 2002, Tiger made his first ever competitive appearance in Williams' homeland of New Zealand, but with a terrorist threat hanging over Tiger's head. It was supposed to be an exciting build-up to the New Zealand Open at Patapata Umu Beach, but a month before Tiger was set to travel to New Zealand, a man had sent a terrifying letter which contained cyanide to the US Embassy in Wellington. The letter, which was sent via the New Zealand Post on December 18, 2001, claimed the author was going to carry out a series of terrorist attacks against Tiger and others at the New Zealand Open. A US security agent who was looking after the situation said, the letter claimed suicide attacks could be expected against Tiger Woods and New Zealand citizens through firebombings, train derailments and poisoning the tournament spectators. The author included a packet of sugar inside the letter which contained poisonous cyanide, which also led police to spend an estimated $500,000 beefing up security for the tournament. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, wacky people out there that, you know, send some crazy messages or make some threats and, and so forth, but this one was kind of legitimate. Thankfully, the 2002 New Zealand Open went smoothly, and only three months later, Tiger went on to claim his seventh major championship and third Masters green jacket. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company. Alright Steve, welcome to episode 6 of Chasing Majors and I'm particularly excited about this one because this is the 2002 Masters. This is our second episode in a row of doing a Masters at Augusta National and um, yeah, excited to have you on. So I want to kick things off by beginning right at the at the start of 2002 uh, and, and this is a cool mo moment for you particularly because... Um, after you and Tiger play the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii, you actually jet straight down to New Zealand, your homeland of New Zealand, because Tiger Woods is going to play the New Zealand Open at the iconic Paraparaumu Beach Golf Course, where you actually grew up caddying. So how special was that for you and also for New Zealand? Yeah, look, it was something uh, I was really looking forward to. I said to Tiger when I went to caddy for him and we discussed the situation and, and, and the deal sort of thing, I said, well, there's only one thing I ask if you win a major... I'd like you to play in the New Zealand Open, <laughs> and and um, yeah, he said, yeah, that that's all good. So um, after he did win, I forget which major it was, and he, he sort of saying, well, are you going to set the ball in motion to play in the New Zealand Open? He sort of took me by surprise that he actually was, you know, took taking my um, request seriously. So um, you know, it was look, it was a lot of work went into it, and it was a um, yeah, like it was a real special moment. Like I think one of my you know, sort of top three moments as a caddy would be when we played a practice round there and we, you know, in the, in the afternoon on the Tuesday and we stood on the 10th tee, you know, and I looked down there and seen all, like, you know, all these people, you know, watching Tiger Woods at Paraparaumu where I grew up sort of thing. It was pretty special. Describe Paraparaumu Beach for, for those who wouldn't know. What's the golf course like and what's that part of Wellington in New Zealand like? Yeah, it's on the Carpety Coast, about 50 kilometres north of Wellington, the capital of New Zealand and it's a Lynx golf course. Um, it's always been rated in the top 100 golf courses in the world. Um, it's a little bit short by modern standards now, hence it, you know, it used to be in the top 50 and it's slid out. But Peter Thompson always said it had the best collection of par threes of any course he'd ever played in the world. And I still agree with that to this day. They're not long par threes, but certainly they're all very, very good par threes. So if you can get around there with four threes or better on your card, um, you're going to do well. So, yeah, it's a links course, a, a great links course, but like I said, it lacks a little bit of length. And when the pros played there, um, not particularly this time because it was very soft and that, but uh, Corey Pavin shot 24 under one year there. So in, in true links conditions, it's probably a bit short by modern standards, but a, a very, very good golf course and, and worthy you know, of its reputation. Can you describe how that came about, getting Tiger down to New Zealand 
uh, any time Tiger plays overseas, it's a massive undertaking. So can you tell me about the origins of where the idea came from and then how it sort of became, you know, executed? Yeah, well, actually, uh, I, I said to a friend of mine um, when I went to Cave Tiger, I told him the deal and that, and, and he, and then when I, when Tiger approached me and sort of said, yeah, can you get the balls in motion? Uh, I'd be keen to play in the New Zealand Open. So um, some friends of mine put a company together. Um, they called it Plus Four to put the put the deal together, but it, it became too big for them to do. They didn't quite understand what it was all going to take, and it went to a, a private or not. It went to a promoter uh, to put the deal together. But um, yeah, it was you know a little old New Zealand to get the. You know, Tiger Woods was obviously the number one player in the world, but that probably at that point in time was, you know, one of the most recognisable athletes going. So to have him playing at, you know, a little, little old town in New Zealand was pretty cool. Steve, what do you remember about that letter which was sent to the US Embassy threatening a terrorist attack against Tiger and the New Zealand Open? I mean, I imagine that was a pretty scary threat, um, no matter how, how seriously it was taken. I imagine that would have been pretty uh, uh, ominous. Yeah, look, I mean, Tiger always had... Uh, security people wherever he went uh, on the golf course every time he played there's security people and and sometimes we were made aware of some of the threats and sometimes we weren't made aware but there was always threats and it was quite interesting to talk to some of these security people and like yeah there's a lot of a lot of uh wacky people out there that you know send some crazy messages or make some threats and, and so forth but this one was kind of legitimate there was a, you know, something was sent to new zealand um which had some you know, foreign substance in it, which was, you know, intended could be harmful. So, um, yeah, but I mean, look, they have the, the security detail that they put for these tournaments all around the world was always first class, and the New Zealand Open was no exception to that. Yeah, and, and, and the event went smoothly. So on, on a lighter note, Steve, I want to ask you about a particular moment that week which caused a bit of a frenzy, and that was when you went jogging with Tiger along Otai Hanger Road, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Wellington, and Tiger was shirtless, and it caused a bit of a, a bit of a funny stir. Can you remember that? <laughs> yeah, well, we, 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 it was sort of a thing we used to do quite a bit when we travelled that we'd, after a long flight. That would be the sort of the first thing we'd do is get off the plane and get ourselves situated where we were staying, which we did there, and uh, and go for a run. And of course, I knew the area obviously well. It's, it's my hometown where I grew up, and uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, and that, yeah, and and of course, Tiger sort of stood out a little bit. <laughs> Took the shirt off and away we went. And yeah, it was pretty funny. By the time we were running, there was a whole lot of cars, a whole lot of motorbikes, and a whole lot of people on bikes all hooting their horns and hollering. It was pretty funny. Was was the general? Was there a, a general buzz in Wellington that week? Oh, absolutely! Look, it was it was humming, um, absolutely humming that, that you know Tiger was going to play in New Zealand Open. Was it? Yeah, obviously, it's a big deal. They've never ever had number one player in the world play in the New Zealand Open so it was a big deal just unfortunate that week the weather was terrible uh from from Thursday onwards Monday Tuesday Wednesday the weather was great and it was an unusual time of the year we very seldom get much rain at all at that particular time of the year late January but um yeah it was really a shame but all in all, um, a successful week. You know, the, the, the fans were happy. You got to host a, one of the greatest players who's ever lived on the course that you grew up on. Tiger ties for six. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people were expecting that he would win the New Zealand Open that week. But he was kind of in a bit of a transition period, wasn't he? And I, and I want to kind of segue to the next topic, which is during the period between August 2001 and March 2002, Tiger had sort of, you know, informally split with his longtime swing coach, Butch Harmon, after nine years together, they'd been together since 1993, and he went seven months without a victory anywhere in the world. What do you remember about Tiger while he was basically trying to coach himself? Yeah, I think a lot of players, you know, it's like being an apprentice at some point. At some point, you, you like to break away from your coach and to see if you have a good enough understanding on your own to be able to make necessary changes when things aren't going well. And I think Tiger, you know, he's a very great he's a great student of the game has a great understanding of the game and so forth and I think he saw the right time where it was time for change but I think while he was thinking about who was going to be his next coach I think he wanted to see well I don't think I know he wanted to see if he actually could what he could do on his own and if things weren't going well could he correct it himself so it's quite a good test you know you you've had a coach there for a long long time and you learn a lot from these coaches and you 
and thing, but then at some point you like to actually know if you can do it on your own. Chasing Majors is made possible by our friends over at Bluebet. Bluebet is the true blue Aussie betting company which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the US PGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first round leaders and three ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the majors starting with the upcoming Masters in April. One of my favourite bets on the Bluebet app is Tiger to win a major in 2022 and I think we'd all love to see him make another comeback. So head over to bluebet.com.au or download the Bluebet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. You've you've uh, caddied for a number of players who have been coached famously by Butch Harmon. That includes Greg Norman and Adam Scott. Um, can you can you just sort of surmise his legacy as a coach? Um, one one of the greatest coaches, if not the best coach who's ever lived. But can you describe what the impact that you saw he had on the players that you caddied for? Well, I think the thing that that the with Butch that was different to any other or any of the other coaches was you know, Butch. Butch is an old school coach. And he has an unbelievably good eye and he keeps it simple, but he doesn't use all the technology like they use. And even today, he doesn't use all the technology. He's just got a great eye for the golf swing. I mean, he's a natural coach and, um, you know, it'd be hard pressed to say that anybody's better than him. He's had a phenomenal uh, lot of players and a phenomenal amount of success with all the players that he has had. He's just got a great eye. It's, it, you know, some people are born to do something. I think he was born to be a golf coach and he's just got an incredible eye for detail in the golf swing. So uh, after a bit of a dry patch, Tiger finally wins the Arnold Palmer tournament um, for the third time at Bay Hill in Orlando, Florida. He actually beat your countryman, Michael Campbell, by four shots. How much of a relief was that to, to for Tiger to get that victory off his back in the lead-up to Augusta National? Yeah, look, I mean, he always had a plan to try and peak for the major championships, and, and 2002 was sort of no different. He, you know, he was in and out of form a little bit, but, you know, by his standards, he was a little bit. I mean, he's still playing well, you know, on the tour by anybody else's standards. But you know, his standards are pretty high, and everyone expects him to play uh, at a high level every time he tees it up. But um, he was working away at getting a complete understanding and and, and peak, trying to peak for the Masters. And you know, Bay Hill was is a great indication. It was a few weeks out, and he, you know, he put it together there, and he was real confident following that victory that you know he'd be ready for Augusta in a couple of weeks' time. Was there a feeling amongst Team Tiger, and, and that includes yourself, obviously, that after he had captured the career Grand Slam, won the Tiger Slam, which was, of course, four majors in a row between 2000 and 2001, was there almost like a reset button hit and, and see how Tiger could move into the next phase of his career and get even better? Yeah, look, I mean, Tiger ever searching to be the perfect player. And uh, even though, like I think I mentioned in the last one, when he actually did capture that Masters Championship to win you know, to hold the four trophies, even though he did do it. I, I think, you know, when he actually sat down, he probably was a bit of disbelief that he actually did do it. You know, it's an incredible accomplishment. And then, you know, you you do need to hit the reset button after something like that. That, that is, a, you know, everybody that wins one major championship has got to hit the reset button, let alone winning four in a row. So, you know, that's an incredible uh, effort to do that, a lot of pressure involved in that. And, and certainly there's, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you, there is going to be some kind of letdown after that. And then, you know, that's when you need to refocus, set some new goals and, and start up again. So we arrive at the 2002 Masters and curiosity is high about how Augusta National play with significant changes made during the past year um, that, that have been dubbed Tiger Proofing. Under the guide of architect Tom Fazio, Augusta National lengthened Holes 1, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, and 18, stretching the course 285 yards to now max out at 7,270 yards. Tee boxes were moved on four holes, including numbers 8, 10, 11, and 18, uh, and also bunkers on 1, 8, and 18 were increased in their size. Fazio's facelift also included the planting of some trees. So, Steve, um, how did tiger proofing change the way you caddied at the Masters? Look, I mean, it was fascinating. A lot of players, um, there was a lot of concern about, you know, what, what, why the Augusta National would change the course so dramatically in regards to probably one player that tends to be dominating the game and, and, and at that point sort of dominating Augusta to make all these changes for one player. And a lot of, a lot of players didn't agree with it. It was quite interesting. But, you know, when they, when they it, it's just... You know that's what they do, and 
it's um, as far as catting there that yeah, but it, you know, Tiger was, it, you know, he was hitting, he was at his best uh, in this particular time and that. So that, you know, adding the length didn't actually even affect him too much, to be honest. Steve, this is a hardcore golf nerd question, but I want to get your your read of the yardages of each hole that was changed at Augusta, and I, and I want to sort of get you to recollect what clubs and what kind of shots Tiger would hit on each hole and how they changed now that the, the course was changed to be Tiger-proof. So hole number one, par four, it was lengthened 25 yards to 435 yards. How would you and Tiger play that now? Yeah, so the, the, the first hole was lengthened, so that took the took the right-hand bunker. So you couldn't just go wailing over that right-hand bunker. Now. So now you, now you had to play a little bit more to the left-hand side. Possibly some days it might even be a three-wood. So that, that became a, a very much more difficult opening tee shot because before you could just fly it straight over the bunker. By adding that additional length to it, at that time you couldn't fly it. So it made it a more difficult tee shot. You, you know, you gave you less room to work with because you had to be to the left-hand side there. Um, you know, that, that whole – with a good drive in that hole, it's just a drive in a wedge. Yep. Um, yeah. And and number seven, that was lengthened forty five yards to four hundred and ten yards. How how did that change your approach to it, and how did Ty, you and Tiger play it? Yeah, so that hole, uh, that that probably hole was, you know, the, one of the most controversial changes, I guess, because that green was designed for a short club. It's a very very narrow green and a very very tricky green. And now that tee, instead of hitting a you know a shot from eighty, you know, sometimes you can even drive it up near the green if the when the wind's in the right direction, but you know, you typically got a shot there between 60 and 100 yards off the old tee, and now you, you're lengthening that to where you're hitting a 7, 8, and a 9 iron in there. Um, so that dramatically made that hole more difficult for sure because, like I said, the green was designed, um, you know, for a very, very short approach shot. But uh, Tiger always, um, he, he played that hole very conservatively. He seldom hit a drive on that hole. He either hit a 2 iron that sort of stinger two iron or a three wood off the tee there. He seldom had a drive there. And even now when they lengthened the hole, he still played that hole conservatively. Number eight, par five up the hill at Augusta National. That was lengthened 20 yards to 570 yards. Did that change much about the way that you and Tiger played it? Yeah, so that hole's another hole. That's that they, they increased the distance in that hole to take the players that can carry that right-hand bunker. So now you couldn't, you know, that bunker was like 305 yards to carry. Now it's 320 yards to carry. So, it, you know, back then a few guys could carry that bunker, but now you had to play left of the bunker once again. So that narrows that fairway up considerably. Um, and, and, you know, so it's you know, it's just two colossal hits up that hole. It's uphill. So, that, you know, that became a far diff- more difficult hole now that you couldn't, because, you know, you can't hit it in that bunker because if you hit it in that bunker, you know, you, you, you can't get your ball to the top of the hill and you're going to have a blind third shot. So you have to avoid that bunker at all costs. In all the rounds that you caddy for Tiger at the Masters, did you ever see him not go for the eighth hole in two? Well, I mean, obviously, sometimes when you hit it in that bunker on the right, that you can't go, and occasionally he'd pull one a little bit to the left there. Uh, so, some, you know, sometimes if that flag's in a certain position, you, you lay it up. Like when the flag is on the back left-hand side of the green, sometimes, you know, if you've got a difficult angle or difficult, you know, shot, you play it out to the right to make it an easy pitch shot. And so, yeah, but any time you're on the field, you're generally going to have a go at the green. Okay, so number nine, length from 30 yards to 460. Did that change much? Yeah, so not nine, what they did there on nine by lengthening the holes. So that's going to prevent most players from getting the ball to the bottom of the hill, which makes that hole so much easier if you're at the bottom of the hill and you've got a flat light or even an uphill light. Now they lengthen the hole, so everybody's going to be hitting off a very much the downslope to, to raise green that's got three levels. So certainly... As far as judgment goes, that's one shot on the golf course. You just absolutely got to judge right because it's got three tiers on that green. If you hit it on the wrong tier uh, or beyond the where the flag is, or you come up short of that green, it's very difficult. So that's you know it's one of the great holes. But you know just once again, it's going to be you're going to be playing off the downhill lie instead of a flat lie. Now the next hole, um, one of the more difficult holes at Augusta National, number ten, that was lengthened only by ten yards. But I suppose even adding ten yards to the tenth hole could could really, you know, uh, mess with the players. That was now 495 yards. Did that play any different? Yeah, well, I mean, it just, by lengthening of that, it just, you know, it, it made, to get it down there on the bottom, you have to hook it now. You know, it's just, every time they've lengthened that hole, 
with prior when you before lengthening it, you know, you could hit it basically to the top of the hill, then let it run down. But now, by you couldn't do that. You you have to hook it off that tee to get it down to the bottom there. Very next hole as well, number eleven. This was one of the more significant changes um, during the tiger proofing changes, and that was the tee was moved way back towards almost the edge of the property, and the hole was lengthened thirty-five yards to four hundred ninety yards. How much more difficult do the eleventh play for you and Tiger now? Yeah, I mean that's probably. Yeah, I mean that hole is unbelievable to lengthen that hole. I mean it's it's probably it's, you know it's probably the toughest approach shot, second shot of all the par fours at Augusta. And then they lengthen it, and you, you know you now you're going in there with a four, five, six iron, seven iron, depending on where the wind is, um, and that's a very, very difficult shot to that green. So that that's just that's just a brute of a hole, a, a very, very difficult hole. And of course, at the same time, they planted the trees on the right there, um, you know, because Tiger used to just stand over there and just wail it straight over the top of the trees yeah. there. So they they planted trees to stop that. that. That became a significantly more difficult hole. Now, 2001 Masters, he hit one of the best shots I think he ever hit in his Masters career, and that was that little chip 8-iron into 11. What was he hitting into 11 now? Yeah, so that, with the tee going back there, that, that, that was like a 6-7 and an 8-iron sometimes, depending. But the, in 2001, the course was very soft, so there wasn't a lot of roll. All week, the course was soft, so it was playing at its maximum length that week. Number 13, one of the most famous holes and par fives anywhere in the world, lengthened 25 yards to 510. Did that change the way you approached it at all? Yeah, so, you know, that, you, that hole there where Tiger loved to, that's the hole he loved to hook that three-wood round. Well, you have to be more careful now because it's a lot longer, so the angle of where you need to hook it. So that, that became a more difficult shot. So um, it wasn't uncommon for there for the players just to sort of hit it straight now keep it short of those pine trees up on the right and then just play in because um with the additional length and that those trees on the left when you're trying to hook it around the corner came into play so that that also became more difficult and it did it change the club he'd use for his second shot tiger yeah that, you know absolutely because when you hook it around the corner there, you, you know you could be going in with a seven or eight iron now but now with the t length and there you, the hook you know hooking it around the corner was far riskier so you know you'd be hitting a three four and five iron in there number 14 uh length and 35 yards and it's already a difficult hole very difficult tee shot tee shot isn't it because the fairway slopes from left to right pretty severely it's length and 35 yards to 440 so how much did that change for you and tiger yeah, so that's another uh, significant change there because off the other tee, the, you could actually stand up there and, and, and draw it around the corner there a little bit. But now with the, the length and that, that, you know, you had more of a straight ball. And of course, if you didn't turn it or, or you hit it, you know, started it right there, you, you'd see more players playing from the pine straw on the right there than previous years. So that, and once again, that's a green that's designed for a short iron. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that's just a tee shot. You've absolutely got to hit a good tee shot. That's a keyhole, that one. Number 18. Now, this was the biggest change of the tiger, tiger proofing changes, and that was the 18th was lengthened 60 yards to 465 yards now. So how much, how different is the tee shot and how different is the approach now for you and Tiger? <laughs> well, I guess they didn't like Tiger's final tee shot there in 2001. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think that hole really needed to be lengthened, you know, that far. It, it, you know, so obviously it just, it, um, in, so, in some respect, it probably it probably made it a little bit easier because now those bunkers, like, you know, before with the tee, you had to work the ball off those bunkers. If you hit it straight at them, uh, it would go in those bunkers. Yeah, I mean, so Tiger there could pretty much, particularly in 2001, he could hit his best three-wood all day there and not get in those bunkers. So it actually as it was playing then, it actually made the hole probably a little bit easier, even though it was playing, you know, 35, 45 yards longer. It made it a little bit easier because, you know, you couldn't reach those bunkers. But I don't know if that hole warranted that. That's a hell of a hole, isn't yeah. it? Well, Tiger might have found it easier, but it was actually your former boss, Greg Norman, who definitely found it more difficult. And he said at the time, and I quote, on 18, you've got to rip a drive up a gnat's ass." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Look, it's one of you know, it's one of those tee shots in golf that you know, as a golf pro, and you come to the 18th hole and you say to yourself, you know, got to make a four here to win. Um, that's one of the hardest tee shots. I mean, I think the 18th hole at the Durrell course in Miami might be the hardest tee shot uh, 
when you've got to make a four to win a tournament. But that that certainly be one of the you know the top two or three tee shots. If you've got to make a four, it's a, it's definitely a difficult tee shot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'd throw those two plus 18 at TPC Sawgrass if you need to make a four during the Players' Championship on Sunday. That's a very nervous, squeaky bum tee shot. So, um, Steve, two-part question. Um, the changes, tiger-proofing changes. Did you have to sort of go through and redo your yardage book and maybe walk the course a couple of extra times before the tournament? And also, did it actually make it easier for Tiger? Did it give him more of an advantage? Um, I think it certainly... When they lengthened the course, I think it certainly um, favoured the longer players. I think, you know, hearing the, all the, that when they all the players arrived for their practice round this year and sort of listening to everybody on the range and talk about it, that, uh, you know, I think a lot of them felt it was unnecessary to change the course basically for one guy at this particular point in time. You know, that's kind of uh, the feeling that everybody had. But, I mean, I think it's certainly favoured the longer players. There's no two ways about it. It favoured the longer players because, you know, when you've got some of the longer players, and you know, like the 11th hole there for a guy that's just an average length player, I mean, he's got to be hitting a hybrid there or, or you know, two or three iron at the green. And certainly that's a very, very difficult job. Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades, who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules and netball. The team at X-Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. Tiger starts the Masters, the 2002 Masters, with a 70, which seems to be a, a popular score for him in the first rounds, the opening rounds at Augusta National, with Davis Love leading at minus five. In the second round, Tiger was among 39 golfers who were unable to finish the second round because of a rain delay, and he only managed nine holes and a tee shot on 10. So on Saturday morning, he gets up at, you, you, you both have to get up at 4.30 in the morning, and he was up, actually able to clean mud off his ball for his second shot into the 10th. How important and, and fortunate was it for Tiger to be able to clean that ball in the 10th fairway? Um, there was absolutely a lot of luck involved there because the ball had significant mud on it, and the odds of hitting that ball on the green with the mud, uh, you, know, you, start, you don't know which way it's going to go. It's never going to go straight. either goes right or left. And sometimes you play it to go, you know, you think it's going to go right and you aim left and then it goes left. And you, <laughs> But that was, you know, I, I don't think he would have made a four with that mud on the ball, to be honest with you. So that was a huge break. So, Steve, Tiger played 28 holes on Saturday. Can you, can you describe to our listeners what happens in that quick transition between finishing holes from a day before and the start of the new round? And what's important to have in the bag for a marathon of golf like that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously... You know, it's a huge day that because you know you obviously got to get up very very early in the morning, and then you got to go to the range and you practice and that, and then you you play those holes. And of course, you know it's the Masters, so I mean, you know, there's as much importance placed on every single shot. So, and then you you know you go through your same routine again um, and warm up for the what would be the start of the third round. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just you always have plenty of food in the bag. That you know, we always took peanut butter, banana sandwiches, and bananas. That's always a great thing to have in the bag, and that. So you know, it was just you know, Tiger's a supremely fit athlete, and that. So you know, playing additional holes was really no big deal. You know, obviously it's hard walking there as in normal conditions, but it was very, very soft, and that, that, that's probably what gets uh, gets kind of tiring is walking up and down those hills when it's incredibly soft. Well, Tiger shoots a three under 69 to finish off that second round. And then in the third round, he's paired with Jose Maria Olathabal, which is, you know, Jose Maria was a very good friend of Tiger's and a two-time Masters winner himself. How much respect did you and Tiger have for Jose Maria? Yeah, no, Tiger, he, he loved playing with Jose. He had a good friend and, you know, he, Tiger was never scared, or no, not scared, but he, he, he loved to ask Jose about bunker play. You know, Jose... And Seve and Gary Player, probably three of the best bunker players that ever lived in that. And Tiger would had great respect for Jose's short game, uh, particularly as bunker players. So he, you know, he often quizzed Jose on on the bunker play and the technique that he uses to stop the ball and so forth and that. But you know, he he um, Jose was obviously a player that had great success at Augusta fantastic part on that so you know it's good it's good periods you know when you play with someone that, that you respect and that 
Oh, that's a very good pairing, and that was, you know, that was a great pairing for him on Saturday. Just as a side note, Tiger really seemed to be able to soak up the knowledge from the from the legends of the game who had either you know won at Augusta or contended every year at, at Augusta. And and speaking of Jose, I remember a famous story about Tiger just picking the brains of Jose Maria and also Seve Ballesteros, a Masters champion himself, about the short game and what what sort of short game shots he'd need around Augusta National. He played plenty of practice rounds, as you'd know, and you would have been in them with Greg Norman and Jack Nichols on how to drive the ball at Augusta. Um, how, how crucial was it for, for Tiger to soak up the intimate knowledge from those legends as he tried to win more and more green jackets? Yeah, look, the, the, when you want to be the absolute complete player and, and have a you know great understanding of every single shot that's required to play at your best, you know, it's great that you ask the best. I mean, it, it, Tiger... Um, I, I take my hat off to him. Like he, he, he would ask everybody that he thought had a better. Uh, There's there a part of their game that was better than a part of his game. He, he had no qualms in asking them how you do it. You know what's what? What are you working on and so forth? But it's a great. It's, you know, he, he just always wanted to get better. And Jose Maria Lovable had you know incredible short game, particularly the bunker shots. And um, Tiger often. Uh, would spend a bit of time with Jose just discussing the technique and how he does it and so forth. Yeah, so, you know, you've got to have a very good understanding of all the different shots. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the Digital Pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Tiger shoots a 66 in that third round to move into a share of the 54-hole lead at 11 under par alongside South African Retief Goosen. Uh, and this leaderboard is absolutely stacked full of stars. Masters winner Vijay Singh is at nine under par. And at two shots further back, we've got Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson and Sergio Garcia. But it was Goosen who was the hottest player on the planet leading into the 2002 Masters, having won six times in his last 24 starts. Um, and so, Steve, what did you and Tiger sort of think of Retief Goosen? Because he was a major champion. He'd won the US Open the year before that. And he was a hell of a player. And he stuck it to Tiger a number of times, didn't he? Yeah, no, Retief was a guy, uh, like, uh, uh, he appeared to be a very, very laid-back guy, but, I um, mean, he had an incredibly um, great desire to win. Uh, and he was a fantastic, sort of an unflappable sort of character, actually. So um, he was, he'd be one of the few players that would, you know, doesn't matter being him being paired with Tiger. It wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to be in awe of that. It wasn't going to affect the way he's going to play. Uh, you know, you'd have to say that nine out of ten guys that were paired with Tiger, particularly major championships and contention, and that um, you know that, that they somewhat wilted under the pressure of playing with Tiger when they sort of know that he's not going to fold. Um, greatest front runner that's ever played the game, but Retief would be an exception to that. Um, but then again, you know, T Tiger on Saturday played hit the ball as good as he'd hit it all year. Um, and he putted very well. So his preparation at trying to peak at the right time was absolutely perfect. I mean, he was just he was just putting it all together. He played good Thursday, better Friday, great Saturday. So he was very, very confident heading into the final round there. Yeah, and Tiger keeps swinging the club beautifully in the final round as well. He gets off to a hot start. He birdies two of the first three holes. And after Tiger makes a fast start like that, Steve, what goes through your mind? Well, there's not, look, it doesn't matter. You know, Augusta's such a difficult golf course that you can't ever get ahead of yourself there. You, you know, you don't change your game plan there. You know, you, you still, you've got, to, you've got to stay in the moment and hit the right shots, the right clubs and all the, the holes. That, you know, the, you, you don't get too engrossed in the leaderboard there. You just got to make sure that you go through the process and don't make any mistakes in that. So that, and that's, you know, a big job of a caddy. It doesn't matter. You know, where you're two in front, two behind, ten in front, whatever it is, you know, you just can't make mistakes. I mean, more so at this golf course. So, yeah, no, that you know, it was a great start, but that, but, you know, it can, it can unfold very quickly on the back nine, as we all know. There. Well, there was certainly the stage was set for this to be an absolute grandstand finish, but and many of the best players in the world were within a few shots of Tiger, but they also seemed to crumble at some point, didn't they? So, 
Ernie Els, uh, he tried to make a run at Tiger, but he made a triple bogey eight at number 13 and never really recovered. Uh, in your opinion, Steve, why did Ernie never win a Masters despite coming so close so many times and winning majors um, at other championships? Yeah, I mean, Ernie's had a you know fantastic career, but he just, I guess, at Augusta, he just never hit that shot that you've got to hit at the right moment, whether it be the 13th hole, the 15th or the 16th. He just never, when he, when he had the tournament, you know, when he had four fingers on the, you know, on the trophy, um, he just couldn't hit that shot when you absolutely needed to hit a shot, you know, on 13 or 15. He just never seemed to come up with the big shot when he needed it there. I mean, yeah, he obviously had a fantastic record there, but, you know, everybody that won at Augusta, they'll always have a memorable shot on 13, 15 or 16, that one that, you know, just turns it around or makes the victory possible that, but yeah, he, he never came up with a big shot there. VJ makes also makes an eight uh, this time though at the fifteenth, um, and, and VJ did try to mount some sort of char- charge towards Tiger. What what did you make of Tiger and, and VJ's rivalry over the years? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, I mean, VJ is obviously held with a lot of respect given the amount of practice he does. I mean, he, he, he's, you know, there's no player that spends more time practicing than VJ did. Um, and obviously a very, very good player. I mean, he, he had a stretch there, you know, one year, but he was like almost as good as Tiger, or, you know, if not better than Tiger when he had that amazing stretch there. Um, but, you know, uh, VJ was always a bit of a streaky kind of a putter in that, and, and, and so probably, you know, not as consistent on the greens. So, you know, he was always a threat and, you know, always, it was a great rivalry because it was sort of a love-hate sort of thing. You know, they both love each other, hate each other sort of thing. So, you know, they both had deep respect for each other's game and they always wanted to beat each other's brains and that's for sure. He was a bit like Tiger in a sense, wasn't he? That he was he was very much a lone wolf. Yeah, you know, VJ's an interesting character and um, certainly, um does things his own way and does things a little bit differently. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's no player that's practiced more than he has. So Steve, Tiger cruises to a one under par 71 and with a 12 under total, he wins the 2002 Masters by three shots against Retief Goosen with Phil Mickelson in third. Phil's still without his first major championship or, or his first Masters, which will come soon in a couple of years' time. Now, Steve... Tiger's lead never dropped below two shots after that fast start uh, after three holes. Did it, did this feel like maybe the easiest of the three masters that he won with you on the bag, even though he had a one over par back nine, but it, did it seem like there was maybe the least amount of challenges that he ever faced at the masters? Yeah. Well, I mean, no one actually really mounted a big charge, you know, Tiger got off to a fast start and when he got off to a fast start, I think, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, okay, here he goes again, sort of thing. You know, and, up until this point, he's never relinquished the lead when he's had the lead in a major championship. So um, I don't know if that played into it, but it certainly appeared that way. Tiger's father said at the time that Tiger intimidates other players through osmosis, almost like a magnetic feel without even trying to do anything. Was that really apparent by this stage? Well, I mean, I, th- I don't know if I would describe it that, but I mean, you know, when players like Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods get their name on the board and they are such great closers of golf tournaments and they know that they play so well on Sundays. Um, it does affect the way you play. There's no two ways about that. And, and, and I think it affects the decision-making that you do. Um, and I think sometimes players tend to make some poor decisions based on the fact that they need, they think they have to press because they know Tiger's on the board and he'll never go backwards. He'll only go forward. So I think it's not a case of intimidating them. I think it's just a case that they somewhat get out of their own zone and play some holes and some shots that are uncharacteristic for them to do so. Once Tiger knew that he had control of a major championship on the back nine on a Sunday, would would he play, I'm not going to use the word defensive because I don't think Tiger did that, but would he play extra smart and extra strategic knowing that he could win this tournament without making mistakes as opposed to going out and winning it with birdies? Yeah, like I mean... You, you, Augusta is such a, you know, you play that like a jigsaw. It's different to a lot of other courses now. But you, but you know if you don't hit it in the water on 11 left, you don't hit it short and raise creek on 12 or 13, 
if you don't hit it in the creek on 15 and that, and, and, and you hit, you know, you, and, and you, if you're in contention and that, and you don't do any of those things, well, you, you're going to be right there. And, and he knew that, you know, you, you don't have to, <clears throat> you know, make birdies, but you, but if you're playing well, you're going to make birdies by playing percentage golf there. So Augusta's all different to some other courses, but, you know, he certainly knew every course, including Augusta, of where not to go and where, you know, where he needed to be. And he, he was, you know, one of his great attributes was that he would never seldom miss the ball in the wrong place. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Steve, this was Tiger's third Masters Green Jacket and seventh major overall by the age of 26 and no one had ever got to seven majors by, uh, by that age really that, that quickly. He joined Jack Nicklaus and Nick Faldo as the only players to defend a Masters title. You cutted a lot at the Masters, and not just for Tiger. Why was it almost impossible for a player to defend his green jacket the next year? Yeah, look, there's no there's no reason why they can't sort of thing. But, I mean, you know, a lot of players that win major championships and, and not just at Augusta and that, it, it's so hard to win your second one. And, you know, and Augusta is a golf course where you just absolutely have to be on song. Um, you, you know, it's, it's, you need to be 10 out of 10 at Augusta. Some other courses you can play and your game can be a little off and you can, you can get it around like on a Lynx course, but totally different sort of ball game. But at Augusta, you have to be on your game. So for anybody to win two years in a row there, you know, you're trying to peak at exactly at that time. It's the first tournament of the year that you're trying to peak for is at Augusta. Um, and it's not easy to do, and, and you know, obviously Tiger did that better than others. When when Tiger was playing in the final round with someone, you know, with, with another player, what would you notice about their body language? Um, if you could tell that they were intimidated or or sort of nervous for the occasion early on, what were the telltale signs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, Tiger, um, you know, he, he, when he's playing in major championships and that, you know, he's he, he's pretty. You know, I, I, he he is an intimidating boat to play with. There's just there's no two ways about that. But, you know, he obviously has a, a huge following with the crowd and so forth. And also, the, when you're playing with him, there's a lot of distractions as well, and, and it never distracts him. He's so used to it, and it can distract the other players. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's a case of it's it's a very interesting question, and it's a hard one to quantify exactly what the answer is. But I mean, you know, he is an intimidating character. Um, Steve, there's a bit of a myth going around that, that Tiger was that good in his prime that he could almost use an extra club on the 12th hole and, 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 and take a little bit off it in the hopes that his playing partners would also use the same club and they might get too excited and sort of nuke it over the back into that back bunker. Is there any truth to that or did anything similar to that happen? A little bit of gamesmanship throughout the time that you caddied for Tiger. Yeah, look, T Tiger had an amazing ability to make a full swing with a club and, and appear to have hit a shot very hard, but he hasn't. <laughs> um, one of his great practice drills, uh, and the only player I've ever seen do that, he would choose a distance, let's just say it's 180 yards, and he would hit every club to that 180 yards, whether it be a sand line or a driver, with a full swing. Wow. It's a, you know, so um, it would not be uncommon for Tiger on the 12th hole, classic hole to do it on, you know, if it called for a nine iron, he could take an eight iron at what would appear to be a full swing. And and, and from the standing beside him, you'd think he's hit that pretty hard, but he actually hasn't. And the guy will be thinking, mm, geez, if he's hit eight, I better hit eight too. And the guy will hit eight and just, yeah, he'll hit it straight into the azaleas at the back. <laughs> um, that, I've seen that happen a couple of times. Now, so that, that's a little bit of gamesmanship. How bloody good do you have to be to be able to pull that off in the in the heat of a tournament? Um. If, if you've practiced enough like Tiger did and practice those kind of drills and that, you can pull anything off. He was absolutely incredible, wasn't he? So, uh, Steve, the stats that stand out for the 2002 Masters, 
Tiger hit 69% of his fairways and 75% of his greens in regulation. He also made 19 birdies and averaged 295 yards off the tee that week. He seemed to be striking it well for someone who was who had gone without a coach for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that backs up, my, like I said to you, if he hit 65% or greater of fairways and didn't three-part, you couldn't beat the guy. That's just, I worked that out very quickly when I was counting for him. Um, but yeah, he um, once again he you know he peaked at the right time here and he was very thrilled because you know whilst he didn't have a you know a coach at this particular point in time and that he, he'd managed to go from playing not as best and, and putting it all together himself and then you know getting major number seven um, you know a, a very comforting moment you know to know that you can still win a major championship without a coach um, behind you. And, you know, you could, and that just backs that, you know what you're doing. So uh, that was a big step moving forward. That was. Steve, I want to, I want to read you a quote from Tiger just after he won and, and get your reaction to it. And he said, this year was more of a physical test than it was last year. Last year being a chance to win all four major championships in a row and retain them all. That was a mental test to try and block everything out. This year was just a physical grind. W- what did he mean by that? Yeah, because his, you know, he he, he was in two, the, the previous year. He, he was just absolutely everything was in sync. Everything was going good. This particular year, um, he you know he was struggling somewhat. Not you know he wasn't as his normal. Um, He's still playing decent, but um, so it, it was more of a physical test. To, you know, to to remind himself, you know, this is what you got to do, Tiger. This is what your keys are. You haven't got someone else there telling you it. So you've just got to keep going through, um, you know, all your little keys that that put your swing together and sort of thing. And also, you know, but the course was very, very soft. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a, that, that is, you know, if you haven't been there, it's very hard to describe what a walk that is. It's a very, a very, very hilly course. And when it's really wet, um, it, it's a big walk. There's just no two ways about it. So particularly, when you've got to play, you know, more than, we, you know, we played 26 holes on that one particular day there. So that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of golf there at Augusta. Steve, this is a random one, but what would you as a caddy do uh, in the traditional Butler cabin presentation when, when Tiger was winning, when Tiger had won the Masters and also the trophy presentation out on the 18th green? Yeah, actually, that's a good question, Evan. Um, it's it's a I find that we it, like caring for Tiger is stressful enough as it is, but caring for him at Augusta is even more stressful <laughs> because, like I said to you, there's no margin of error there. You just have to hit the right club, and it's 72 holes of intense concentration. So, actually, I I um I used to come back to the caddy house there, sit the clubs down, and I used to go and sit on the bleachers behind the driving range. Of course, there's no one there, and I used to just listen to what was going on. So. It was actually, I found it very soothing, like, it, you know, because it, it's, you know, it's only four or 500 metres away from where the trophy presentation was taking place on the 18th green, but you could hear all the noise. And then you could hear behind the um, the grandstand, you could hear all the people that were leaving, um, yahooing and going on about Tiger. <laughs> no, I would sit there, uh, I, I would grab myself a beer out of the, caddy shack there and just sit on those steps there just to take it all in for you know a little bit i, I found that something that's what i do actually every time even when adam won I, I did the same thing i just went and sat there for 15 or 20 minutes just to take it all in and you know it's a great view sitting at that and then and, and that and those bleachers looking up that driving range maybe maybe thinking one day maybe i could hit some balls here <laughs> <laughs> that, that that moment must have been almost a little bit spiritual for you because you caddy for a, a guy who like you've mentioned before as soon as he's won a major he's thinking about the next major so for you was that the only time that you could hit the pause button and soak up what you just achieved yeah because you know there's quite a lengthy procedure there um, when a player wins the tournament there as far as um the butler cabin uh, and then the trophy presentation and then there is the media press conference conference for the media and then you go to a dinner there so unlike a lot of tournaments where you just you know the trophy presentation takes place on the 18th green you go and do a little bit of media and then you're out of there um that's not the, the case there at augusta so um yeah for me to go and sit up in that uh grandstand behind the driving range i, I always that was something um that i always enjoyed was that your favorite thing about caddying at the masters or was there something else that, that you really look forward to every year no, I, I actually loved the challenge of Augusta because I, I, I always felt if I could 
the player that I was catting for, if I didn't make a mistake, uh, I always felt we were going to be in with a chance to win there. And, I, and I, 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 my goal there was to always caddy for 72 holes, not hit the wrong club. So, I, you know, it's, you put a lot of thought, a lot of effort in there. You walk, you know, it's a big week because you go out and walk. You're not, you know, you, you can't walk on the course. You've got to be outside the ropes. And you say so you walk the course every morning early, get a feel of what's going on. Then, you, you know, so it's big days and, and everything. So fantastic event, but it, like, it was great getting there. It was always great to leave because you're thinking oh, it's 12 months before we have to go through that kind of stress again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want to get the favorite shot of any, of all the players that you caddy for at the Masters, what was the favorite shot that they ever hit? The number one. Um, oh, geez, there's been a lot of great shots there at, at Augusta, but um, I think the, the, the greatest shot uh, that I have seen at Augusta was caring for Ray Floyd on 14 um, when he almost won it when he was 50 years old. That bump shot he hit into that on the 14th hole to that front right pin there, uh, an, an impossible shot. He hit it into that into the slope, up, checked it, and, and it went in the hole. Uh, and the reason why I say that, because there was a blow, or it was an unbelievable shot, but I'll never forget it. There used to be a pine tree uh, on the left-hand side there, which was just, uh, it got blown over in one of the storms. So it's there, but it's not the same tree. Anyway, this bloke, when Raymond chipped in, there's a there's a hell of a scream. This bloke jumped up and he hit his head on the pine, like uh, it was a branch. And it was probably, it was a hell of a, like it was like a high jump he got up so high. And he hit, the poor bloke, he knocked himself out. By, I'll never forget it. <laughs> I think that's the best. That's the best shot I've ever seen in Augusta. I mean, we might, you know, we could look at Tiger's chip shot um, in two thousand and five, but um, I, I put Raymond's chip on fourteen in front of that one. And, and to also put you on the spot, what's the shot that you'd you'd want to have back? That's a great, great question. And to this particular day, I still regret. It's the only regret I've had in caddying for forty years. My only regret is. So in 1992, when Raymond Floyd has the opportunity to win Augusta at 50 years of age, he needs to finish 4-4. Um, and he comes to the 17th hole, he's in complete control, and he hits it right down the fairway. He's got a 9-9 to the green, and he says to me, Steve, I'm t- it's, it's, the green was different to what it is now, but it was a t- two-slope green anyway. Um, and he said to me, Steve, I'm just going to aim it on that slope on the left, I'm going to cut it off that slope to the pin and the first thing in my head that came and said well, what if you don't cut it what if you pull it it's the first thing <laughs> that came into my head and I didn't say it to him you know I should have said no just go straight at the flag if you miss it to the right it's the easiest chip in the world of course he hit it at that slope he pulled it a little bit and it's an impossible two putt you can't even keep the putt on the green and he three putted and lost in the playoff <laughs> so oh. <laughs> I, I, me and Raymond, every time I see Raymond at Augusta um, in all the years that follow, because, you know, he played in the tournament for a long time and he would always be there as one of the par three participants. Uh, we, we always have a, have a laugh over that moment. It's the first time I haven't spoken up my whole life. And, I, and to this day, I, I just don't know. It's the only time if I ever get a thought that comes to my head, I always just say it because it's obviously coming for a reason and I didn't say it. And it cost him the Masters. <laughs> well, uh, you, you still won a few Masters, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Steve. Well, I'll see you for the next episode. And this will be a beauty because it's the 2002 US Open at Bethpage Black. And I can't wait to talk about the battle between Tiger and Phil in New York. Looking forward to it, Evan. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.